0: Welcome back to Kings of Columbus on the Podcast Network, Doug Maurice and Bill Landis. We will get to what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking at the end of this podcast, Bill. People seem to like what we're eating and watching, and you've also found that it could be advantageous in your own life for us to talk about this.
1: Yeah, because it it forces me to do those things. It's not uh, re-watching the same show over and over again and like eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day, so I like it.
0: Yeah. So if your wife is like, why are you eating a bucket of cheese fries on the couch watching uh, Ant-Man? And you can just say, I'm working.
1: Research. Yeah,
0: yeah. Beautiful. Glad we're making things better for you. We are going big picture here. And we are talking about which programs in the nation live by a national championship standard slash expectation. And I actually do think those are two different things. And we're going to talk about where Ohio State fits into that. We do have some research, but we are playing off, Bill, something that Gary Danielson said when I talked to him at Big Ten Media Days. Gary Danielson, who has been doing SEC games on CBS for two decades, is now going to be doing some Big Ten games. Now that CBS has, I think he's going to do the opener because Indiana, Ohio State is on CBS they have two games that opening weekend. The other game is Northwestern Rutgers. I assume they're going to send the best crew to Ohio State, Indiana. So, like, do you, right? Do we think Gary Danielson and Brad Nessler are going to do Ohio State's first game?
1: Yeah, it has to be. I, I, I either forgot or didn't realize that the, the other game was Northwestern Rutgers and couldn't for the life of me figure out why they did that. Um, but yeah, it's got to be Ohio State, Indiana.
0: Unless Gary Danielson really wants to have opinions about Northwestern t-shirts and what they might be wearing under their uniforms and, oh, they're supporting Pat <laughs> Fitzgerald. Northwestern is is losing its mind. Okay, so he said, Bill, when I was asking him about like the difference between the SEC and the Big Ten, one of the things he pointed to was there are multiple programs in the SEC that he believes live by a national championship expectation. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think he said six teams. And so we're going to get into those six teams, but that spurred us toward this conversation. What did you think of that when he said that?
1: I thought it was true. Um, I think there there are degrees to that, which which I think we'll get into, like how how serious are those expectations, or, or or to what extent are you willing to chase that, and and how does that impact job security for your coach and and stuff like that. But just sort of baseline, we think our program should be contending for national champions championships. That that number felt mostly right to me maybe we'll we'll end up cooling with it a little bit as we go through the list of schools we're talking about here but i think that is a distinction between northern and southern football the sec and the big 10
0: so we'll get to that and we're going to come up with numbers and we're also going to use the word delusional mm-hmm. on this podcast which is a, it's a great word and it might apply to multiple things here. You think, for instance, that you're going to be able to watch TV and eat food and tell your wife that it's research. You might be delusional. <laughs> there are other schools who think, oh, yeah, we're, getting, we're shooting for a national title. It's like, okay, great. Shoot for it, but I'm here to tell you, live in the real world. Right. But we have to start with Ohio State. And this was a long discussion that I've had in recent months on Buckeye Talk, and I think it, it elicited some emotions from Ohio State fans. And I'm going to do a little semantics, which is difficult. People are not here for a grammar lesson or an English lesson. But I think we have to figure out what we're talking about. And maybe we should have done this before we started getting on the microphone, but it's too late. <laughs> the word standard and the word expectation. So I will, I will ask you, does Ohio State have a national title standard? And does Ohio State have a national title expectation? And I'll tell you, here's how I differentiate those two things. Expectation is what you have in your head going in. Hey, are we thinking about a national title? Is that on our list of reasonable goals? Is it a thing that fans are actually thinking about? And it doesn't make you feel crazy to think it. It's an expectation. A standard to me is at the end. Did you meet this? And if you did not meet the standard that you have set for yourself, then often there are consequences. So as we talk about this, we have the word of such good graphics. Again, the podcast people, we love you. If you're watching on the YouTube show, I just sometimes fall in love Well, with my own face, but also with the graphics that Berm dials up for us. We have the word standard on our graphic. Do you think standard and expectation are different? Do you understand where I'm coming from with what you think before a season and how you evaluate it after a season, or is it all just the same thing? And I'm being too wordy. Um, I, I don't know. I
1: guess I, I never really thought about the the two words like s- as sort of separate ideas, but but I I think I agree with you. The thing that's difficult for me as it pertains to Ohio State is I. I don't know that I agree that Ohio state has a standard. I think expectation is more fair, Um, but I also would hear an argument for a standard, but, but we don't really have like when's the Ohio state has not fired a head coach for failing to meet on field standards in quite some time. Like it's been a while since that, since that has happened and like the game has changed. And I think Ohio state's like sort of standing as a program has changed a little bit over that time too. And the expectations have risen. So I don't, I, I hesitate to say that Ohio State has a standard that would suggest it's going to fire its head coach if it if he doesn't win national championships because we don't really have that as as a data point yet. Um, but I do I think they can be distinct. It's probably healthier to consider them distinct. Um, and I would I would say that Ohio State more has an expectation than it does a standard, and maybe most programs do. I think if you were to separate the two the list of standard is rather short.
0: So in the previous discussion I had about this, we used the word standard. And I said, Ohio State does not have a national championship standard. You can't have a national championship standard when you've won two national championships in the past 50 years. Because it's like, okay, well, what'd you do? It didn't meet this standard. Oh, I could have a standard of being the most handsome man in Westerville, Ohio. But Clark Kellogg lives in this town. So I'm never going to be that. And also, there are just other people walking down the street in this town. So I can have the standard and never meet it. Like, I don't think you can have a standard that you meet twice in 50 years. So I do not think Ohio State lives in a world. And I don't actually think the fan base lives in a world. And this is like where hot take artists come in. Where And this is a thing people do in sports. It's like, well, is that season a failure or a success? Because that's all there is in life. I don't think Ohio State people, coaches, administrators, board of trustee members, players, fans, think if they don't win the national title, a season wasn't a success. But the standard is a national title. I don't think that's where Ohio State lives. Now, if they don't live there, not many people live there. Mm. I think... I think standard right now, who has a national championship standard in college football? How many teams do you think have that? Two. And they are? Alabama and Georgia. And Georgia just got there. Like, Georgia Mm -hmm. didn't have it before the last two years because they had, like, one title in 80 years or whatever. I mean, it's like you can't. Vince Dooley and Mark Rick didn't (laughs) live by that, right? It would have been crazy. But I do think Alabama fans right now, right? Don't you? If Alabama doesn't win a national title, I think the fans are mad, disappointed, viewing the season as a, quote, failure. Yes?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fans and, and power brokers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And George is the same thing. So I think when I have a vociferous argument with Ohio State fans and say it's not a national championship standard, that's kind of what I mean. It means that not many people have it. So, okay.
1: Can Excellent. I, can I offer a, uh, yeah. uh, cause one way that I did think of this and, and I guess I should have done this research because I think I can only think of one other program with stuff of my head. If you eliminate 2011, because it was so weird, it was an interim coach. It was a weird year. There aren't many other programs whose previous had two head coaches, other than the one that is currently in the job have won national titles, right? Ohio state LSU.
0: Yeah, LSU is the one that leaps to mind, right? That for LSU to win national titles with coach O and Les Miles and Nick Saban. It, it, like you start doing stuff like this and you're like, man, I actually LSU is like pretty awesome at college yeah. football. But yes, much much of the rest of stuff and we go back to our cleveland.com days on Buckeye Talk. When you and Ari and I, I think before the 2016 season, did Ohio State's the most indestructible program, perhaps mm-hmm. in North American sports. Um, that's part of it that you can do it across airs, you can do it across coaches, and that you are not successful only because of a coach, which frankly, I don't even know if you can argue it with Bama. I just think it's they have the two greatest individual college football coaches of all time. And when they don't have that, they're not very good. So I think right. you make a good point
1: it's it's just like it's it's hard to contextualize for me sometimes because standard i think has has come to be defined by Nick Saban in Alabama when then like that did not exist prior to that being established and probably will not exist after Nick Saban goes on you might have a team like Georgia win I don't know two titles in five years, or a Clemson who won two titles in three years or four years, whatever it was. Like I think those things will continue to happen, but Nick Saban's run of dominance I just is, is unprecedented. But also then, sort of tilts the view of everyone when we have this conversation. So I just I just mentioned the the fact that Ryan Day's two predecessors won national championships as as perhaps offering it up as something we should more realistically use as as a tool to define who has a championship standard and who doesn't, rather than are you stacking championships on top of championships, and then if you don't, do you be dis- are you disappointed because of that?
0: So let me ask the question this way, because I do believe standard implies consequences. If Ryan Day continues to be as successful as he's been, and let's say that means regular playoff appearances, especially in the 12-team playoff, and let's say that means 50 50 against Michigan, right? I, I, we can pretend that Ohio State's going to get back to winning eight out of 10 or 10 out of 10 against Michigan. Let's just say it's, it's the new 10 year war, okay? And we'll, we'll give, let's give these, let's, let's take Ryan Day's whole 10 year into it. So Ryan Day's one and two against Michigan right now. Mm-hmm. Let's say that after 11 seasons, since he missed one game, thanks to COVID, he's five and five against Michigan in 11 seasons. So he's 11 seasons in. He's 5-5 five and five against Michigan. They've been a regular playoff participant. They are very, very good. They are in the mix for the national championship every year, but they don't have one. Would there be pressure to make a coaching change? Would there be discontent, internal or external? Would Ryan, Whether Ryan Day said, you know what, I can't get over the top here, I'm out. Or whether the new AD, because it's not going to be Gene Smith, is like, you know what? This is unacceptable. But You've been here a decade and we don't have a ring. Could you see that world? Because that's what we're trying to define, standard. And then if you don't get there, highest level but short of a ring, would there be consequences?
1: I, I think there would be, and, and I – I think if, I think there should be like that. That to me is the the threshold for Ohio State. You, you're right that they went 50 years without winning one, but then a new precedent I think has been established where if Ohio State is not winning a national title once every decade, then I think that is falling short of the standard that has been set here. So I think there would be consequences for
0: that. So then I think you do think they have a national championship standard. <laughs> Yeah, I I
1: I do. if you if you define it in those terms, then I do. it goes back to what I said. Like, what what does standard mean? Does standard mean that Ryan Day doesn't have a title five, four years into this? Get kick him out and send him on his way? Like I I don't know. That feels drastic to me. Um, but like Trussell won one in a decade or, or so, Urban won one in seven years. Um, I think it's okay to hold Ryan Day to, to that similar standard. And I think every Ohio State coach after him should also be held to that standard.
0: And that that standard would have consequences. Let's mm. say Ryan Day has made, say it makes a playoff every year, right? Yeah. So, so he's that, made but that also
1: up means four. less. That also will, it will start yeah. to mean less than it's meant in the last eight years or nine years.
0: Yeah but you run into like a Georgia buzz saw a little bit. It's like, ah, USC, they got some stuff going on. Ah, they're just like a super team that popped up at Florida State. Oh, wow, Texas and Oklahoma are really thriving in the SEC. We're right there. We win some games in the playoff. We play some barn burners. Man, we're just a little short. We're definitely one of the three or four best programs in the country, but we don't have one. So I think if you think that, because that's part, if you think there ever at any point in a coach's career would be consequences if you don't have a ring, and then you're deciding, is it after three years? Is it after five? Is it after eight? Is it after 12? But that not having a national championship would be a blemish on your record. Then I do think you have a national title standard, and you think that's the case at Ohio State. I think I would argue, man, if you're there every year, like, I don't know. Like, stuff happens. There's a lot of good teams. Mm-hmm. You're in the mix. I just value being, like, being in the mix is being, in, that. that's what it's all about to me. And consistently being in the mix is what it's all about. And of course, you, I guess you want to get over the top and I, I guess you, you need to get over the top at some point and win one and have a parade, but firing somebody for not with a, you know, an eight seventy five winning percentage. I don't know. I, I don't know if I would get there. I might just be like, keep chugging along, man. I think it'll probably happen eventually, but boy, oh boy, Ohio state's pretty good at football.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I feel that, and and I think I think some fans, I would venture to say that a larger percent of a percentage of fans agree with you than don't. Um, I I do find it difficult to like kind of figure out how you should feel about it as we move forward into a world where. Access to being in the hunt is easier. Like what? What now defines being in the mix? Once we get to the twelve-team playoff, is it simply making the playoff? Because I would argue that 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 is not it. Um, that's the for Ohio State simply making the playoff is going ten and two every year. And I don't like no offense, it's not Wisconsin. So I don't. I don't think that's what it should be. Um, if you're gonna tell me that like getting to the semis is in the mix and you're doing that more often than not, I, it's probably pretty hard to part with the coaches doing that. Um, I don't know, like off the top of my head, but there the, are the NFL coaches, right. Who get fired because making the playoffs regularly is simply not good enough. Right. Like, don't you eventually have to get to the mountaintop in the NFL? If, if you're, you know, if everything else is right and you're a team that's in contention, like merely being in contention all the time, I don't, I don't feel like is accepted at that level. So I'm I'm not really sure why a program with the resources like Ohio state should accept
0: this, accept it. Just say it. You know, the example you're thinking of, you live the example. Andy Reid in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, but, they they didn't, but but Andy Reid like bottomed out when it like
0: his last year, didn't he? So so he did, but he didn't get fired in Philly because they kept making the NFC championship game and not winning the Super Bowl. He got fired in Philly because they stopped making the NFC championship game, right? So, but you were a, were you a, a malcontent Eagles fan? It's like, oh, I can't believe they lost the NFC championship game again, right? I don't know. Like what? So, yeah. How did people view that? Were were Eagle were Birds fans out? You're wearing another Philadelphia t-shirt. How can I not bring this up? <laughs> there are no pictures of Eagles defensive players on it today, but it is no. a Philadelphia. There's a Liberty Bell. Yeah. we were, were Eagles fans like get this guy out after no Super Bowl championships.
1: Yeah, they were. And like, I remember distinctly having like, my wife actually gets mad at me now because I am like back to being an, an annoying Eagles fan because when we first started dating when I was in school, I like, and she's a huge Steelers fan. And I like kind of like the Steelers because my uncle liked the Steelers when I was growing up. Um, but I told her like, no, I'm not much of an Eagles fan. Cause I don't like Andy Reed. Like he doesn't, he doesn't do enough for me. Um, and I was not alone in that sentiment and hindsight, I have come to appreciate Andy Reed. Um but in the moment, yeah, I was done. Get, getting there and not getting over the hump was agonizing.
0: Okay. Well, tell Ryan Day that. Hey, yeah. if you don't get over the hump, man, the hindsight's going to be great. But yeah. the now sight <laughs> is going to be uh hot. I
1: appreciate you like 25 years down the road. Like if yeah. you go somewhere else and win, like, oh, yeah, that guy was a good coach. If he wins Super Bowls. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we do think. You think they have a national title standard. I still am a little bit short of that. We both think they have a national title expectation. Mm. So I think once we establish the only other two programs in the country that really have a national championship standard right now are Alabama and Georgia, we're now having an expectation discussion. And we want to have a discussion about which programs in the country right now enter a season and think to themselves, yeah, yeah, no. Like, we're talking about this. This is real – We're not afraid of this. This is who we are. This is a reasonable goal. It is an absolute expectation. I have. There's one team in particular. So I did how many teams I think have it right now, and then how many I think will have it in the new world in 2024 when the conferences realign and we get to a 12-team playoff. And I added teams in that world. So there's a team that actually probably does have it right now, but they're new to it that I didn't quite count yet. So without counting that team right now, I have 11. How many teams do you believe have a national title expectation right now? Yeah, that's a lot. I
1: have uh, one, two, three, four, five, seven.
0: Okay. Let's do it. Now, again, we're going to list them first and then we'll come to another category where we say, are they delusional or not? It's like, congratulations on your goals. They're ridiculous. We got to come up with the thing that I say at the end of that because normally I'd say Buckeye Talk. Right, (laughs) congratulations on your goals. They're ridiculous. Kings, (laughs) KFC, (laughs) Philly Billy, and French Vanilla. So people did. People want us to have that be the name, Philly Billy and French, but they want to be French Vanilla. Yeah. But my name is not French Vanilla. It's French Vanilla. So I don't know why I have to change my name. Maybe you should be Philabilla and French Vanilla. Like, why do I have to change?
1: Uh, I mean, French Vanilli has more of a, has a better
0: ring to it than I know. Philabilla does, if I'm being honest. Philabilla. It's for a reason. The reason's <laughs> coming. It's for a reason. Okay. We'll get to what you're watching, what, you what you're thinking at the end. How many teams in the current SEC do you believe have a national title expectation?
1: Uh, in the current SEC, I only have, I have three.
0: Oh, so you disagreed with Gary. See, I listened to Gary Danielson. He said six. So I made five at least because I was trying to listen to Gary Danielson. So who are the three that you have from the SEC?
1: Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. Okay.
0: I also have those three, but I also added Florida and Tennessee. Because Florida remembers Urban Meyer. Florida has lots of good players in the state of Florida. Florida cares about football. And Tennessee, and we'll get to them later. But but Gary Danielson specifically said Tennessee. And our good buddy Austin Ward who once covered Tennessee was like oh if you guys talk about Tennessee but would they be on this list like it's what they think yeah
1: no that's that's a good point and actually I kind of I tripped myself up here with the way I made my list because I, I have it I have a list of programs that should have those expectations programs that do but should not and then programs that don't but should like we talked about yeah so I guess I should bump these programs some of these programs up that to stretch my list from like now it's seven getting closer to yours. Cause I had Tennessee on the list of programs that have it, but,
0: but should. Okay. Not. So, so how many do you, okay. 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 So, so this is the all that have, and then we'll pull out the shouldn't do, but shouldn't. Okay. So we're, we understand that Florida and Tennessee are around this mix here. Right. So they're, they're, they're like percolating at the edges.
1: Yeah. They were both on my list of programs that,
0: that believe they have it. Okay. How many big 10? Um,
1: Just one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Michigan is the team that I think Michigan this season, maybe for the first time ever, like really in the history of the program, I don't know what they were thinking going into the 1997 season. I know uh, Nick Baumgartner and Mark Snyder just wrote a book about that season. Our, our friends who cover uh, Michigan, they wrote a book about the 1997 Michigan national title season. So maybe they were thinking that back then, but this is the whole Georgia period. This is, I think Michigan's entered a new realm. So I didn't put Michigan on this list because to me it's like not just now, but like recent history. But I think in the totality of the Big Ten's existence in this modern era of college football, I do think it's one.
1: Yeah, I think it is too. I, I think people... There might be people who argue Michigan and perhaps Penn State. Um, I am not there really at all with Penn State. Um, I could get there with Michigan, but I know we've also seen teams in the playoff era have these quick little rises and get there and then just sort of fall back to the pack. And I'm not saying I think Michigan is going to, but I think it's at least a possibility. Yeah. So that, that, um, that gave me a little bit of pause. So I, I did not put it on the list.
0: Okay. How many in the, uh, the version of the Pac-12 that's going to exist for this season did you have?
1: Just one, USC. USC.
0: That's what I also had. And I think that's pretty clear. They probably let Clay Helton hang around a little too long. They probably should have pulled the trigger on him maybe a season or two earlier and gotten to Lincoln Riley. But then once they do get rid of Clay Helton and they go, you're not going to get Saban to go to USC. You're not going to get Kirby Smart to go to USC. You're not going to get Dabo to go to USC. They went and got the best coach they could get. I think it showed you what they think they should be and need to be. And so I think USC is undeniably on this list. And the Big 12 as it exists this season, who do you have?
1: Texas and Oklahoma.
0: I agree. Those are the two I have. And the ACC as it exists this season, who do you have?
1: Uh, Just Clemson, but I think there could be a Florida State discussion to have.
0: So I had both because I think Florida State's history would show you that. They were a dominant power under Bobby Bowden, but then they did win since Bobby Bowden. To win the national title oh. in 13 with Jimbo Fisher. And they, you know, once Jimbo left for more money, they didn't let the Willie Taggart thing go on very long before That's they true. were like, this is like, that is, they did not say, well, let's give him five years to be fair here. They were not fair. They were like, nope. And went to Mike Norvell, and I think they're going to be really good this year. So I think Florida State history, consequences, and current on-field ability, I was pretty comfortable putting them there.
1: I think that's fair. I I I was thinking about what I said earlier about the programs that have had successive coaches win national championships, and obviously Florida State did that, but then the Tiger dip, if you want to call it that, and and like Norvell seems to have it going in a good direction. Um but I don't know, and they're like a little bit of a darling going into this year. I don't, I don't really feel like they're as much on the doorstep as maybe some of the national media would but have you believe they are. But I do think they're heading in the right direction. So, But I think you're, I think you're fair with your assessment. I think given, given their history and action, actions, it does line up with the team that thinks that way.
0: So I wind up with 11. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, Ohio State, USC, Oklahoma, Texas, Clemson, Florida State. Gary Danielson said six? I listed five. I think he said these five. And then you and I were trying to figure out, like, who would the sixth be? Do we think it would be Auburn? Do we think it would be Texas A&M? Who do you think it is?
1: I think it's probably Auburn because they've done it. Yeah. Um,
0: And I had Auburn on my delusional list. Okay. So let's get to the delusional list. Okay. So we're talking about who has it, who has it but shouldn't. Who doesn't have it, but should. So we are on the, you're crazy, congratulations, but it's a pipe dream. Of the 11 that I listed, I think my only pipe dream is Tennessee. That I don't know that I think they have it, and I don't know why they have it. You made your delusional list. Who was on your delusional list?
1: Uh, So Tennessee was on it. Auburn was on it. Um I had Florida on there and and I know like they they won with Sparrier and with Urban. Um, but I think there's just like a longing to get back to the urban days there that frankly I just don't think is ever gonna happen, and they would be a lot happier if they did away with that. Um, and part of that too is the recruiting. Seen in Florida at the moment, with like Florida State's doing a little something, Miami's throwing a bunch of money around. Alabama has recruited really well there. Like everyone's going to the Florida. I just don't know. I just don't know if they can build up the roster the way they used to be able to to be as dominant as they once were. So I I think it's a little bit delusional to have that expectation down in Gainesville anymore. Um, So Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, uh, and I don't know. You can you can tell me if you think this program actually has an expectation. I kind of feel like Notre Dame does.
0: So I did not put Notre Dame on this list. I thought long and hard about putting Notre Dame on this list. They haven't won a national title since 1988. Brian Kelly left in part, maybe he even said it because I think he believes he can win a national title at LSU. And maybe he had reached the point where he didn't think they could win one. At Notre Dame, even though Notre Dame made the playoff twice, didn't really compete in the semifinals, made the national title game in what 12 got the doors blown Mm -hmm. off there, like right there on the doorstep, but we're maybe never going to get over the top. And Brian Kelly was like, well, thanks, guys, I'm going to fake a southern accent and (laughs) dance a jig in a circle in Baton Rouge because down there they know how to win national titles. So, I did not have them on this list now. I did not view them as delusional and living in this world when they shouldn't, but I do have them on my other list in the world. Interesting. Do you think they have it now? Do you think they belong on the delusional list?
1: I I do, but, but, you know, I. It's very possible I'm, I'm wrong about that. I just, I, I feel like, I feel like Brian Kelly very clearly does not think that Notre Dame has that expectation or ability. But I, I do feel like the institution, the fan base, Marcus Freeman, um, is selling in some regard. Like we are a, a nationally competitive, is probably the wrong way to put it. Cause I feel like that's a step below what we're talking about. Cause I do think they're nationally competitive and relevant but actually capable and, and expected to win national championships. I don't think they're there. I don't know that they'll ever be there, uh, but I do feel like they carry themselves in that way. Um, and part of that I think is feeling slighted by Brian Kelly's decision to leave there because he thought they weren't capable of doing it.
0: I think there's something there with Brian Kelly thinking he can't leaving them hiring Marcus Freeman, Marcus Freeman, I think, in that staff, maybe getting even more aggressive in some of its recruiting. And then the expectations actually rising in the wake of Brian Kelly's departure, mm. partly because of what you think Marcus Freeman can bring to the table as a young, aggressive, smart head coach. And also because maybe it woke him up a little bit like, oh, okay. Well, if this guy doesn't think we can do this, then maybe he's right, and maybe we need to do some things to show that we can do it. So I I don't have enough of a handle right now on whether Notre Dame fans sit around and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Because I think maybe what Notre Dame fans sit around and do is like, I hope we have a good year, but, man, we can't beat Bama. Have you watched that? What are you talking about?
1: Yeah, I, I I think under Brian Kelly, that was probably right. But uh, there is something about the addition of Marcus Freeman there that that I did feel like brought expectations of building a more competitive roster in that sense. And I, I, they haven't gotten there, in my opinion. Um, they've also done things like institutionally that, that probably do st- stop a little bit short of, of telling you that they have these expectations. Like they didn't pony up the money. They needed to pony up the higher Andy Lugwig as their offensive coordinator then had to take like their second or third choice. Um, They've lost some recruiting battles because the NIL kitty there is not what it should be. So that they are, they are not as aggressive as some of these other programs that we're talking about, which probably means that they shouldn't be on the list of teams that are delusional.
0: That's a really good point. Andy Ludwig, the longtime offensive coordinator at Utah, Bama steals Notre Dame's coordinator, and then Notre Dame can't steal Utah's because mm-hmm. they won't pay it. I don't know that I've ever publicly heard of a school that's like, oh, no, we identified our guy. And it's like, oh,
1: they he's, took him to a hockey game. He was sitting next to Marcus Freeman.
0: <laughs> and then he's like, no, I'm going to go back to Utah. Yeah. That they wouldn't. That you're a school that's that big time and you won't pay the money. Yeah. Like you draw a line in the sand. When we bought our house in Columbus, we were a thousand dollars apart on a house and they wouldn't come down and we would not come up and we bought a different house. So I don't know if they were a thousand dollars apart. Andy Ludwig is like, I want two point six one million dollars a year or whatever. <laughs> I guess that's, that's still six 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 one one. Yeah, I don't know, like where you draw the line, because because like I, this is one of my big things. Like There's a line for everything, right? I always think mm-hmm. about when there's a storm. There's a one foot over here where it's raining, and then one foot over it's not raining. There's always a beginning and an end. to Everything. Do you ever do that at the beach? When I'm at the beach, I like to think. I'm standing on the beach, and if you just had a normal, like, 8 by 11 map of the United States, you could point to exactly where I am right now because I'm right at the end of the country. I'm right here. It's like you just follow this road down through New Jersey, and I'm right there. Like, you can find me because I'm at the end of it, right? Mm Because there's an end. It's like this is still, you know, land, and this is no longer land. So, the idea that Andy Ludwig in Notre Dame, somebody was like, nope. Somebody was like, come on. I don't know whose side was like, come on. Where it's inches. It's raining there. It's dry over here. Take one step. And Notre Dame was like, nope. And luckily, yeah. was like, literally, I just need like a $50 gift card to Kohl's <laughs> and I'll get over the top. And Notre Dame was like, I'm sorry. We just, we're out of Kohl's gift cards. Go back to Utah.
1: Yeah. And like his will, his willingness to be so public in his visit there, I think suggests that they could not have been that far off and they probably had an agreement in principle. And then I don't know if something changed with the buyout language or someone doesn't know how to read a contract or what, but whatever, whatever it was, that number got too high.
0: Make it happen, man. So yeah, I think that was maybe proof that, you know, I don't know that you can, (laughs) you can take a guy to a hockey game and if he asks, for a hot dog and a popcorn you say you have to choose one and then be delusional about your national title hopes i think maybe they're very realistic it's like listen we're a popcorn or hot dog kind of program (laughs) maybe in ohio state they're letting everybody get the combo and large size it but not in south bend we're not so we can keep talking about notre dame but i think i think they're kind of on the edge right there who else was on your delusional list
1: that was it so it was notre dame tennessee florida auburn
0: okay all right, so I think we're like you're we're around 10 to 14 teams I think that are living in this expectation you can talk about a national title before the season and not be crazy. You're not just saying to yourself, "Hey, you know, a 10-win season would be great. You do want more than that." I think that's about right. So let's think about the new world That is coming in 2024 when everything is going to change. And the the teams that we are particularly interested in here, Bill, are the teams that we do not really believe have lived by a national championship expectation in this modern era. But now maybe should. And I'm going to play a game a little bit with you as as we do this. And because the numbers here matter. And we were talking about our favorite college football stats sites. I don't know, maybe there's some stats services we can purchase, or there's one that we both really liked where it was just like a guy doing it. I would pay the guy to keep doing it more, but they didn't update the stats with 2022. So I had to do a little hand math here. And also, even on that site, they don't count the wins if they've been vacated by the NCAA, which makes hmm. me want to, Rip that Liberty Bell right off your chest because it's like, can we just please live in reality? I just want to know who won the things. Like, yes, maybe you got in trouble. We'll make a little designation that you were naughty. But can we just have the real wins, please? So I think this is right. It's not a math show. 1998 is kind of like the birth of modern college football. It's first year of the BCS. And by the way, that's like 25 years ago now. It's kind of a nice little shorthand. So I went back. And I grabbed the teams, not winning percentage, just raw wins. The most wins in major college football, Power 5, Boise State always pops up. No offense to Boise State, but that's not what we're doing here. Power 5 teams since 1998. Do you want to guess how many of them have 200 wins or more since 1998? So that's 200 wins in the last like 25 seasons. 15? 20. Okay. So now we will run through the 20 teams on this list because I think it is a bit of a guide for who is at a certain point, who should be at a certain point, and who might be fooling themselves. But what we really want to talk about is maybe teams who should elevate their standard. So we're going to play Ken Landis' name all 20 teams. Okay. If you and we'll try try to do it in order, you'll get bonus points. Like you want to do the ones at the top, and I again, I apologize in advance. I did the the NCAA vacated math. I added those wins back in. Uh, I I did the best I could, but I'm just a simple man. So one through twenty, give me a team, and and you know try to start with number one. Um, Ohio State number one. Ohio State, coincidentally. Here we are on our high state podcast, Kings <laughs> of Columbus. It's called Number One. Yeah, two hundred and sixty-five wins by my count. Who do you think's number two? USC. USC is number nine. Oh, because wow. they had a little bit of a dip in there. Yes, they got Helton. Yeah, they got Helton.
1: Um, Alabama.
0: Alabama is tied for second. Okay, so that's a good guess. So we have. Ohio State, Alabama, and USC are three of the top 20. Who else you got? Florida State. Florida State is number nine, tied for ninth. Again, they had a little bit of a dip, right, like after mm-hmm. Jimbo left and kind of in the wilderness for a little bit. But uh, tied for ninth with USC.
1: They're, that's like surprising load, load to me. Um, I mean, I know who else is on the list. I'm trying to get them in order. Uh,
0: yeah. um, Oklahoma? Oklahoma is tied for second with Bama because they're they're dips, right? They didn't dip from Stoops to Riley, and Bob Stoops won the national title in 2000. So like they've been pretty consistent. They have not really had a drop-off. Their drop-off was last year, year. whatever it was, six games with Brent Venables last year. So that was their drop-off, but they're still tied for second with Alabama. All right, who else? LSU. LSU was sixth. So that's a good guess. That was your sixth guess. They are number six. There are two teams that are ahead of LSU though that you have not yet guessed.
1: Uh, Florida?
0: Florida is number 12. Okay. Good guess. Just a little bit. Uh, there are 220 wins, but they are uh, number 12. And again, I hope you guys are playing along at home with Landis. Maybe you're screaming things at I'm your screen right now.
1: I'm sure you're screaming things. Yeah. Uh, I feel I just like I want to say Texas but I feel like there were too many like 6 7 win seasons in there for them to be up there but I'll say Texas.
0: Texas is in there. Texas okay. is 13th. So that's okay. I mean like yeah they dipped but also they were really, you know, they had some really good Mac Brown years in there for starting from 98 right through 2007 or so. Yeah. They're humming pretty good.
1: So there's two teams above LSU that I haven't said yet. Correct. They're Georgia?
0: Pretty obvious. Georgia's fourth. Yeah. And then another obvious one. You're just not thinking of them. Yeah. Uh... They've played some good games against Ohio State. Pretty famous games. They've won. Well, Michigan is on the list. We'll give you a Michigan guess. Michigan is 15th. Michigan is 15th on this list. That's your 10th guess. You're 10 for 10 so far. In getting So I'm going to set the over-under at 18 of the 20 that you'll get. You'll get 20 guesses. So 10 guesses in, you have 10 right.
1: Famous games against Ohio State.
0: Yeah. Big stage. Oregon? Revenge. Revenge, even. Oregon. You guessed Oregon. Oregon is tied for seventh. So that's a good guess. Oregon is tied for seventh. You're 11 for 11 so far. Very famous games <laughs> for Ohio State. And this program has also played some very famous games against other famous programs because they, in and of themselves, in this age of college football, are very, very famous.
1: <laughs> the, the other problem I'm having is I'm forgetting which teams I've already <laughs> said.
0: Yeah. Well, I could tell you who you've said. You've said Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU, Oregon, Florida State, USC, Florida, Texas, Michigan. Super famous. Notre Dame. Notre Dame is 17th. 17th. <laughs> oh, I forget. I
1: honestly, I can, I,
0: I, it is not some, in my brain. Some people would say that their coach is a weasel.
1: I'm oh, not saying I would say that. Oh my
0: God. Davo. Some Clemson. people would Clemson. say Clemson's fifth. It's okay. You uh, didn't know there'd be a test. You just want to sit on your couch and eat cheese fries and watch Avengers movies. You're waiting. Yeah. Can we get to the what you're watching? Right. What you're eating? It's like, no, there's a pop quiz. Before the cheese fries segment, I apologize. If you, if
1: you would have told me that the program was made in God's name image like this, I would have got it immediately.
0: Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I should have said that. Yeah. Uh, you're 13 for 13, though. So feel good about that. You have seven yeah. more to go. I think you can do it.
1: Uh, Penn State.
0: Penn State is tied for 18. So just squeaking in there.
1: That's 14
0: uh. for 14. Your over under is get to eighteen of the twenty. It's getting hard,
1: and it's all Power Five.
0: All Power Five.
1: Um, I've said Oregon, Texas A and M. No,
0: okay. so that's one miss. There are they are representative of multiple conferences here. Still, representative of multiple conferences again. Uh, at least. Two, Two two of them have played Ohio State recently. Wisconsin. Wisconsin tied for
1: seventh. I'm looking at Luke Fickle's face on the screen. I didn't say Wisconsin.
0: Wisconsin. So you have 15 of 16 so far. Wisconsin tied for seventh with Oregon. Wisconsin way up there. Way up there. Uh, Is Utah up there? Utah, yes. 16th. So you have 16 of 17 right now. You have still four more on the board. Three guesses left. It's getting tougher. It's getting tough Miami. Miami. Out there. Miami. Miami is tied out there. for 18th. Very good. All right. So you've gotten 17 of 18 so far. I set my over under to get 18 of the 20. So you're in good shape. You have three guesses left. They have two guesses left to get these three teams. Because you did miss one. Washington? No. No Washington, at least by my count.
1: Okay. So one more guess to finish. One more guess. Um, I have said Penn State, correct?
0: Correct. Uh, Baylor. Not Baylor. Good guesses. You did not get number 11, TCU. Which is kind of like guessing Baylor. Kind of like guessing Baylor. Uh, You did not get Virginia Tech, which is really hard. Because we just don't think they're not very good right now. Virginia yeah. Tech, 14th, and Auburn, Auburn 20th. Oh, I had Auburn That's on my slider. list here. I should have yeah. picked them. So that was good. So here's here's the point. Those are the teams that have had, right, at least some kind of version of consistent success. They're the 20 winningest programs in the Power Five in this 25-year period of the BCS. So now as we talk about who should adopt national title standards, it's a guide. It's a little bit of a guide for me. Because I believe, starting in 2024, that there will be 16 teams that should now adopt a national title expectation. So in doing that, I had 11. That means I'm adding five to my list. So you did a list of who you think should adopt this new expectation. Mm -hmm. Who do you have on your list? Michigan. Yes. Oregon. Yes.
1: Uh, I actually put Penn State on this list. Yes. Um, so I, I had Texas A&M.
0: Not unreasonable. They're paying Jimbo to do it. And they're paying in their NIL to get the recruits.
1: Like resources and proximity to good players. I like, why would they not have it? Um. They've have come woefully short of achieving it, but I feel like they should still have it. Um, I already kind of had Notre Dame. There as like a team that like is expecting it. Um,
0: yep, I added Notre Dame.
1: Yeah. So I guess I would put them on my list as well. Um, I think that was it
0: for me. So I added, so I am agreeing with you. I am increasing my list from 16 to 17 because I'm adding Texas A&M and I didn't have Texas A&M previously, but I think you're right just with what they're investing. I think their donors and their board of trustees probably believe that they should be doing that. Mm -hmm. I also added Wisconsin. And I think when you fire Paul Crist and you don't hire the alma mater defensive coordinator that everybody likes, and you go get a guy who's made the playoff, I think you're signaling something. Because I think it would have been really easy First of all, it would have been easy for Wisconsin to keep Paul Christ. I'm not sure the old version of Wisconsin gets rid of Paul Christ. They had like a couple goofy years. They were still above 500, though. They had a rough start, but I don't know. Is it mostly because Graham Mertz wasn't what you thought he was going to be? There's still talent there. But first of all, they fire him. And then Jim Leonard is right there. Jim Leonard, an incredibly successful defensive coordinator, an NFL player, a really good player at Wisconsin a guy that everybody viewed as a future head coach, and you tell him no to hire Luke Fickle. I think when you make a hire like that, you go get Luke Fickle, who turned down Michigan State previously. And there's a version, I mean, like if we've been doing this at the height of Mark D'Antonio, we're talking Michigan State in a conversation like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a 1,000% sure in a world where Michigan State's paying Mel Tucker more than $7 million a year to not leave where maybe Michigan State shouldn't be on this list. I think Wisconsin signaled new era of college football, new expectation for the Wisconsin Badgers.
1: I don't disagree. I think that's right. I, I think the if they were to hire, hypothetically, Jim Leonard, it would signal that they were pretty content with what they had had under Paul Chris. They just kind of wanted a new voice leading it and maybe uh, uh, a different kind of culture there under, under Jim Leonard. But um, I think the on-field results would have probably been the same, or at least they thought they would have been the same, which is why they didn't do it. And Luke is, is something more than that. You get a G five team to the playoff. You're something more than that. My, my hold up with Wisconsin, which is part of the reason why I even hesitated a little bit on, on a place like Penn state is recruiting, like the re- recruiting footprint. Um, and Luke has done, I think Luke has done and will do a really good job in the future of mining the diamonds in the rough, like he did when he was here at Ohio state and bringing those guys up to madison not only from ohio but from the entire midwest you see wisconsin like in pennsylvania a little bit um and on the east coast too like i think luke knows where he has to go to get the players to be a something more than wisconsin has been but i still in the end question a little bit their ability to, to close on those recruitments so if you're going to tell me that he is going to level up their recruiting and i don't even talk like i don't think they need to be top five nationally but even to like flirting with the top 10 nationally regularly. I think that does move Wisconsin into a different stratosphere than they have been, but I'm just, I'm I'm not super confident that that can happen.
0: So I asked Gene Smith this question when I sat down with him on a on a recent podcast, the new big 10, the 18 team, big 10 is going to stretch from coast to coast and is going to encompass a lot of big time media markets. And as people know here at Kings of Columbus and We're building something more. We are very interested in the north-south divide in college sports and in college football in particular. And we believe that that is coming and we haven't even launched the show yet. And I think we see more and more that it's coming. And I think to me, this is a little bit like you're gathering up the posse because Nick and Kirby and Dabo – And now Brian Kelly and his Southern accent have been down there doing their thing. And so what do you do? Uh, Ohio State's been trying to go at it, trying to go at the SEC, trying to go at Southern football kind of by themselves. But you get the posse together and the posses coming from New Jersey. Is it though? They're riding their red, their scarlet. Horses, the swamp monsters are crawling out of the muck and crawling south. Swamp monsters unite. Greg Shiano's like, I know where Tampa is. I used to work there. Let's go. <laughs> so you're getting from New Jersey to Washington. And by the way, like one of the things you're getting with Washington and Oregon is like two young, like pretty good coaches. I think people are like reasonably excited about Kalen DeBoer at Washington and Dan Landing at Oregon on opposite you- sides of the ball. I I agree with that. And I also wonder, like,
1: what's the right way to say this? Dan Lanning is willing to SEC it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that bringing that into what is
0: now the Big Ten
1: is necessarily a bad thing. What do you
0: mean by (laughs) SEC it up a bit? Which is the kind of conversation that when we get to what we're going to get to, we're going to be talking about all the time. What do you mean by that? Oh, Oh, you mean that? Oh, you mean that? Yeah. So, I mean, if Dan Lanning, I mean, Gene Smith brought it up again today that like Urban Meyer, who won two national titles in the SEC, got to the Big Ten. I was like, okay, time to recruit. Yeah. And now Dan Lanning's like, okay. Okay, all you hipsters, (laughs) put down your granola. Let's go get some (laughs) players out of Texas and Southern California. This is how we do this. Now, listen, Mario Cristobal is doing that at Oregon before too. But like, are we going to do this or are we not going to do it? So when you get an 18-team league and you're getting everybody together, I think you have to marshal the strength of the league. And what can you marshal? You marshal your media markets. You marshal your exposure. You marshal your money. And so you've got to find a way to use your money. Now, what can you do to use your money right now? Well, you can pay coaches. You can build facilities. You can do all those kind of things. But you also like got to get your donors to pony up for NIL. And if and when we ever get to paying players, I actually think – I don't know what they're going to come up with if and when they ever pay players. But I don't know. I think the Big Ten might have some money to pay people, right? If that's like a thing, too. It's like, oh, could you have the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox be in the northern half of the country and have big payrolls? And it's like, okay, good luck, Gainesville, trying to keep up with what we're doing up here.
1: Yeah, I think he could be right. I think like the TV market's one. Uh, population uh, sheer population is, is another thing that's in the big 10's favor. Um, and I also think too, like, there is, there's a difference I think between the North and the South and the tolerance uh, for paying high school players. But I think everyone in the North can get on board with the idea of like, Oh, you want to pay money so you can keep Marvin Harrison jr. Sure. I'll do that. I'm not going to pay you, give you my money so you can go get some kid from, I don't know, wherever somewhat pick a high school. Um, but I, th- and it's like kind of it's the way that the Big Ten has done business with NIL up until this point. I think they've shaded more toward transfer and keeping your own roster intact than th- throwing that money at prospective players. And the SEC, I think, has done the opposite. And I still feel, even though the currently, if you look at the scoreboard, the SEC is probably "quote unquote" winning. I think the Big Ten will be proven right in that strategy long term. Um, and if it does get to that point where everyone is like, "No, this is what the money's for." this is where the money should go. I think the big 10 will already kind of be set up to do it better than the sec or the Southern schools collectively, not every school in the sec, obviously Georgia is never going to get left behind Alabama, but collectively, I think
0: the North could be a little bit better than the South. I think Northern schools should put up billboards in Southern towns and say, are you a young college football player unhappy with your choice? Transfer to Illinois. (laughs) Transfer to Wisconsin. Like set up like the Taiwan Malone billboard system. Like, okay, we even like, all right, we lost out this guy first time around, but soft landings, it's a little colder. We'll buy you a parka. We'll get you ready for the league. Let's do this. So in this world, this is the world that I am. I'm not just trying to like conjure it into existence. I want them to realize it. I want them to realize what they're building. I want them to realize that you, that this is something. This is the way to do it because there's the guy, there's the SEC ESPN guy, Peter Burns or whatever, who is always tweeting out things, and they're factual. It's like, oh, uh, like he tweeted out one thing that was like national titles in baseball, SEC, this many, and big. It's like, okay, what? What? You... But in football and men's basketball, right? It's like in the last X number of years, the SEC has like 19, and the Big Ten has one. The only thing the Big Ten has since 2000 is Ohio State's national title with two national titles. In 02 and 14. they haven't won a men's basketball national title since Michigan State in 2000, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you and I covered Big Ten basketball. You know that is ingrained in your head. So, it's like, okay. But also, a decent chunk of that is built on, like, all right, it's Bama football and Kentucky basketball. And it's like, I get it. Billy Donovan had a good Mm -hmm. run there. But, like, okay. So... So the national championships matter. You can't deny the numbers. The numbers are the numbers. And Florida and LSU and Georgia and other teams have contributed there. And people in the Big Ten have not contributed. It's been Ohio State against the world. It can't be, again, the Ohio against the world shirts are okay. We're going to make shirts here. It's not Ohio against the world. It's North versus South, right? Because Ohio against the world is a nice slogan, and when it works, it's cool. It's lopsided. There's a lot of the world. <laughs> so I think you just want some friends. Yeah, You just want some people in your posse. You can get on your horse and ride out into the desert by yourself, but you might fall off your horse and fall on a cactus. And then you need someone to pull the needles out of your butt. So you need Michigan and Penn State and Wisconsin and Oregon and Washington and USC honorary Northern team to That's come right. along for the ride. The idea of the Big Ten rounding up an 18 team league with the goal of going after the South is that real, or is it a thing that we just talk about on this show?
1: I mean, is it real in the sense that like that is what they're thinking as they do this? I I don't know. I think you're right. I, I think it's more getting them to realize it because I think it can be real. Um, they are. I, I don't know. Like when when Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC there was so much discussion about consolidating that kind of football power in in the South. Like that's true. Like they're, they're tremendous football brands. I don't feel like that's been discussed enough with some of the additions that the big 10 has made, like with USC in particular, but even like Oregon is a really good football brand. Like what, what is the distinction? Like Oregon at its peak and Oklahoma at its peak at the moment, like are kind of the same to me. I I don't know. Um, Texas and USC are kind of the same to me and USC might even be a little better maybe or, or have a yeah. little bit of a higher ceiling i think I um so i don't i don't know why they're not talked about in the same terms and if you want to get into the muck and like talk about the middle tiers and the bottom tiers i think they'll, they'll you know we we'll, we'll have plenty of time to do that and truly compare them top to bottom um but just sort of generally i don't i don't think that there is this monumental gap between the two i think the, the north as we are defining it um has consolidated power in a pretty significant way to make that kind of charge
0: So you need your best teams to then embrace a national title expectation. Now, and I actually think this can be to the North's advantage because we're talking expectation, but you can embrace the expectation without adhering to the standard. Which means if the South believes, ha, 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 we fire our coaches faster. (laughs) Oh, do you want to see like Texas? Texas is like, we have a national title standard, which causes us to fire people. I don't think Tom Herman would have gotten fired in the North. And I think no. if you let Tom Herman figure it out a little bit, I think there might've been something there. They pulled the plug pretty quick on this. I'll be curious to see how long of a leaf Steve Sarkeesian has at Texas. Cause it feels like they might be getting something going there, but if it doesn't happen this year or next, I don't know. Lincoln Riley is a kind of a rare dude. Brent Venables was the number one assistant in college football for a decade. Oklahoma got him. If he has three rough years and the, you know, as they're moving to the sec, I don't know what they're going to do. You're going to really fire Brent. Maybe if you think that now Oklahoma has to adhere to an sec standard, which means you're delusional and intolerant. (laughs) Woo. Whereas for instance, People have complained a lot about James Franklin at Penn State over the years. Is he maximizing? Is he a great in-game coach? All these different things. Guess what Penn State is pretty right now? Pretty good. They let it work itself out. Jim Harbaugh maybe got saved by the COVID season. It felt like he was on the edge. Guess what? He worked it out. Michigan's really good right now. So what James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh have done at Penn State and Michigan, I think has positioned those two programs to absolutely – Have national title expectations now and in the future. And I think maybe if either of them were in the SEC, they'd already be gone.
1: I think that's fair. I think uh, uh, I kind of think this. I'm curious if you agree with it. Like the expanded playoff, I think, favors northern teams more than it does southern teams. I think there are more, I think there are more northern teams positioned to elevate their status in the expanded playoff than there are southern teams. I kind of just feel like the southern team, like the the top tier of the southern teams is going to stay that way almost in perpetuity.
0: I think that's right. And I do think that the middle of the SEC, the top middle of the SEC, is not as good as people think. Mm-hmm. But their top is so good. Meanwhile, in the Big Ten, and I don't believe I, you know, I think SEC bias is overstated. I do think it exists to some extent. Where now in a world where 10 and two Big Ten teams have a chance to get in, and then I think they have a chance to do something. And so that's a lot of it for the Big Ten teams that's been getting in. And then get it now. Listen, Michigan got in the first time against Georgia and and couldn't compete. So you do have to raise the level. But when you think about what Penn State has defensively, that they have a five-star quarterback finally, they always have good skill guys. I I don't know why that would go away for Penn State. And and I think what Luke Fickle can build at Wisconsin, maybe Matt Rule at Nebraska, you know, PJ Fleck, I think Minnesota could make a 12-team playoff sometime in the next six years, you know, with an absolute peak. I think Washington should be good I think it's very I think Washington Washington is a good football tradition they just made a bad hire after Chris Peterson but I think they got it right with Kalen DeBoer so let's outline this let's outline the teams now in the new world because we're talking about the teams that should be adopting this strategy I listened to you on Texas A&M so I'll run through my 17 because I lined it out this way I believe in the new world There will be 17 teams starting in 2024 and 12-team playoff that should have national championship expectations. And maybe that's a playoff expectation. Like, we really should be talking about the playoff because once you're in the playoff, you have a shot. Yep. Eight in the SEC. So you tell me where you disagree. You can say yes if you agree. And uh, (laughs) you can say a code word if you disagree. Okay. You can say the name of a random Philadelphia Eagles defensive player of the past if you disagree. Okay. Alabama. Yes. Georgia. Yes. LSU. Yes. Florida. Yes. Texas. Yes. Oklahoma. Yes. Texas A&M. Yes. Tennessee. Mm, yeah, uh, I think I, Brian I, I think I, Dawkins, Brian yeah, no. Dawkins. I do Corey
1: Simon, Corey, <laughs> Corey Simon. Was, Simon. Was, He's was my favorite player as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I, I,
0: can get there with Tennessee, I think. And I do think the fact that like Tennessee was good last year, but also I think like, like, Hey, they kind of hit on a fifth year quarterback. They had a, a pretty good group of receivers and they just chucked it down the field. It's like, okay. I don't, I don't know. But also Nico Iamalieva like looks like a real dude and they NIL'd him like crazy and got him to tennessee as a five-star quarterback and might be the answer long term might he is the answer long term he might be the answer like by october 14th this year for all the joe milton lovers out there so i think that's eight then that's eight of the 16 sec we don't have auburn but i don't like the hugh freeze hiring and 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 brian harson was a mess and frankly like gene chizik backed into a national title because cam newton had a laptop issue at florida like they (laughs) haven't they do have a national title in the last 25 years and it's a one-man national title that fell in their lap so like i don't i'm okay leaving them out you okay leaving them out yeah all right we have eight in the sec i have six in the new big 10 ohio state Yeah,
1: i sorry. Yes, yes. Bill's like, uh, <laughs> I
0: don't know. I'm not sure about Jim Knowles. I'm not sure about this defensive recruiting. Let's put, no, Ohio State's in. Michigan. Yeah. Penn State. Yeah. USC. Yep. Oregon. Yep. Wisconsin. Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I will respect the pick. I'm not quite there, but I, I see the vision.
0: All right, so if we're going to have Tennessee and Texas A&M in, should we have Washington in?
1: Yeah, probably. I think they're similar level programs, yeah.
0: All right, so that's uh, – if I said okay on Texas A&M, I'll say okay on Washington. That's getting us now to 18. And it's eight in the SEC and seven in the Big Ten in the new world that's coming in 2024. Huh. Anybody like Michigan State, Nebraska, Minnesota, like Illinois, believing in Bielema, like nobody there, right?
1: No, I think – I like – I am not at the moment, but I am curious about a post-Kirk Ferentz Iowa and what that could become.
0: Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I think Iowa, like right now, Iowa is what Wisconsin used to be. Like if Iowa makes a hire that's like a Luke Fickle hire, that's like, okay. Because even there's a a quote from Kirk Ferentz, and we saw Tyvis Powell at the Woody um, the other day, and just a, a, a swell fella. And uh, is doing great things in media, and uh, Tyvis Powell is going to be in your life for a long time if you're a Big Ten college football fan and a college football fan because he's uh, a real dude and a smart dude and an entertaining dude. And uh, the idea that he's in sports media is not a surprise to anybody who covered Tyvis Powell at all. So it's good to see Tyvis Powell. And the first thing he said when he saw me was like, "Man, what are you doing to Iowa's offense?" And I was like, "I know, I know." <laughs> so I don't. But Kirk Ferentz at Big Ten Media Days was asked about. Wisconsin bringing in Phil Longo to run an air raid style type of offense at Wisconsin and he said he was curious about it and he meant curious in a I don't think it's going to work way and I was like (laughs) and that's why you're Kirk (laughs) Ferentz like that's the difference that Wisconsin said we don't want to live in the Brian Ferentz world we're going to try to evolve and Kirk Ferentz is very happy to live in this world so they're like one of the winningest programs right but there's Mm. a ceiling and their ceiling is below a national title expectation. I don't think I don't think you could find anybody who went, it, it, it would be like, "How how dare you not have Iowa on this list?" That's not where they are.
1: It's not where they are. But I do. If we're going to project a a elevated version of Wisconsin under Luke Fickle, I do think Iowa could project something similar with the
0: right head coach, not with the yeah. current
1: head coach, but with the right head coach.
0: With the right head coach. If they make a big-time hire, they make a big-time hire. Okay, so as it is, that means eight in the SEC, seven in the Big Ten. I have two in the ACC, Clemson and Florida State. Yep. I guess Miami wants to get back there, but, like, right, it's just like the, the stadium situation and that it's still, I think, from a campus standpoint, they caught lightning in a bottle in that era with Howard Schnellenberger and then finding Jimmy Johnson to take that over. And I don't know that there's a reason to expect them to get back to that expectation until they show it. So I'm okay leaving them off the list.
1: I agree with that. Yep.
0: And then I have Notre Dame.
1: Do what do we, so like we didn't talk about the big 12. What do you think about Utah?
0: I think Utah is really good, but in terms of an expectation, I think they're still like closer to Iowa than they are to, anybody on this list. They're like turbocharged Iowa, maybe. And yeah, they produce great tight ends. And Cam Rising has been a real find for them at quarterback. And they're going to play good defense. And yes, they beat USC twice last year and kept USC out of the playoff. And they played a humdinger of a Rose Bowl with Ohio State. And they are right in the mix when in a Pac-12 this season that has five real contenders. And Utah should be near the top of that list. But I don't know if you said to Utah, even with as good as they are right now, I don't know that anybody around that program would be like, oh yeah, no, we're talking national title. I, I don't I, I don't know that they're there. And I don't know that they will get there, especially now that they're going to the Big Twelve. Yeah,
1: I don't like national title expectation, I think I think you're right. If we're talking access to the playoff and a pathway to contending for a national title. Like I kind of believe that they're going to be there more often than not. Like I, I don't know the big 12 as it's currently constructed is probably at most a two bid league every year. And most years probably a one bid bid league. And maybe that's going to be more of like a revolving door with Utah and Kansas state and Baylor, and maybe even Kansas if that uh, something is actually being built there um, that I'm giving it credit for. But I just like Utah is such a good, such a steady program that I just I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like as long as Kyle Whittingham is there and he's sixty three years old, so he's not going to be there forever. Um,
0: I think that they're going to be in that twelve team bracket quite a bit. So I guess the question is, if you believe, so the Big Twelve is going to exist, they've they've ensured that they will exist. So that means their champ's going to get in. So they're going to have a team in the playoff. And if you think one team is going to be that champ consistently, does that automatically mean you should be on this list? And to me, it doesn't. Because if you get in, and the other hard thing is they might get a buy in the current structure a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's four buys. And right at the moment, there's only going to be four conferences, four power five conferences. So six, as it is right now, six automatic bids to the six best champs and the four of those six that are seeded the highest get the four automatic bids. One of those should be the Big 12 champ. So you get a buy. So you're probably the four seed. So then in round one, you're playing the five seed, who's going to be either... Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, or Michigan. It's yeah. going to be the second place team from the SEC or the Big Ten. So, my question would be Are they ever going to win that game? Yeah. And so, if you're the Big 12 champ, you're the four seed every year, you play a five seed that you're going to be a double digit underdog to, then do you have to be on this list, whether you're Utah or Kansas State or Baylor or TCU, and you're good at football? But I don't know that expectations for a national title are really what you're talking about. You're talking about winning the Big 12. You're talking about making the playoff, but I don't know that you're going to have a beat Georgia period in practice. (laughs) Beat Georgia from Michigan has crystallized this a little bit for me. Everybody, should everybody on this list be willing to have a beat Georgia period? It's like, hey, uh, Oregon, do you have a beat? Actually, Dan Lanning was the coach at Georgia. He does have a beat Georgia period because they played Georgia, a couple, you know, like last year in the opener and lost by 60. They should have a beat Georgia period. Penn State, do you have a beat Georgia period? Notre Dame, you have beat Georgia. Period. I know Tennessee has a beat Georgia period. I think you could make a case that everybody here has a beat Georgia period. I just don't know they're going to have that at Utah.
1: Yeah, I, pro- probably. I, I don't know. Like, I don't. It's hard for me to put wa- maybe Washington in particular on a pedestal above Utah, and at the moment, too, like maybe even Oregon. I th- like like long term I would I would buy more stock in what Oregon is going to become. I think like we I think we know what Utah is and is going to be. And Oregon can be something more than that a few years down the road. But at the moment, I don't like Utah, I think is a better program. So um I don't know. It's a tough one for me. I think I think I would I I think I would put Utah up there.
0: So, I think Oregon is definitively ahead of Utah. Oregon has reached heights that Utah has not reached in the modern era with Chip Kelly, with making a national title game under Mark Helfrich, right? They've been there yeah. with Phil Knight, with like, we know they're going to compete. So, I think Oregon's a cut above Washington, I get. But then, this is if Utah joined the Big Ten, I'd probably put them on.
1: Yeah. I guess this is what I was going to ask, do you think removing Utah from the Pac 12 universe lowers like, like l- lowers their ceiling a little bit? Like, they're, maybe they get a little bit less talent. Um, obviously won't
0: have as many marquee games as they've had. I do not think moving from the Pac-12 to the Big 12 is worse for the program or Utah fans. You're going to be in a conference with BYU now, which is going to be awesome. I think there's a lot of things that are going to make sense for Utah, especially with Arizona and Arizona State and Colorado going, and I think Utah can go play TCU and Baylor and Texas Tech and schools like that and play great games. I do. Mm Mm-hmm. But Utah, what's like one of the things I said that Utah did well last year? They beat USC twice. There's not a USC. Like you absorb, there's not an anchor school in the Big 12 anymore. Who's the school that now is the standard that everybody compares themselves to? And by beating them, you elevate yourself. Yeah. Right? right. I don't think that exists in the Big 12. now. And if Utah is that, it's like, well, okay. I mean, again, who in the Big 12 is going to try to have a top 20 recruiting class on a regular basis? Like, I don't know. So yeah, I just, uh, that's why I would have Washington ahead because now Washington, I hope raises its level even more because now it's standard is not just beating Oregon and USC. It's going to be beating Oregon and Ohio state and USC and Michigan and Penn state, and it should elevate. I don't think Utah's going to fall off the map, but Utah really, I don't think Utah has a national championship expectation now, and I don't think they're going to get one. I would say Washington doesn't have one now, but now they should get one. one. Yeah, we add because again, I didn't have them on my ad list, but you were right to add them. So I agree with that, and I think Oregon probably had more of one. They've played a national title game, right? They've played in some huge games. So in the end, I'm at 18, eight in the SEC, seven in the Big Ten, two in the ACC, plus Notre Dame as an independent. So that's the 18. If you want to throw in one Big 12 team, I understand where you're coming from, but I still think it's a bit of a different thing. And it's one of those things. TCU played in the national championship game last year. I still don't think that means TCU enters this season with a national title expectation. It was a little bit of lightning in a bottle. They won a bunch of close games. They had an awesome year. Credit to them. But come on, right? Like, uh, that's not good. It's It's not the same as what the teams on this list can be.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, T- and TCU is like, has been on the. They did that was the only time they made the playoff, right? It was last year? I know fourteen. Yeah, they were like right there, and then got kind of screwed over a little bit, but they never been in it besides that. But I, yeah, I think you're right. It does like I want to like be clear, just because I like I think the Big Twelve has the chance to be like the most fun league in the country, top to bottom, just like interesting, entertaining teams. Um. But in terms of the conversation we're having, I think it will be a step short of that.
0: It's not going to stay. But if it did stay, if we had a 10-year run of a 12-team playoff with the conferences as currently aligned, SEC, Big Ten, Big Monster Conferences, the Big 12 right there, big, healthy, no anchor program, and then the ACC doing their thing however long they last. I don't think the big 12 would win a national title. I think if we kept this system, this structure for 40 years, I don't think the big 12 would win a national title. Yep. I agree. Okay. Helpful. Was that helpful? I think standards and expectations are important to college football. I think they're important to fan bases. I think they're important to donors. I think they're important to players and coaches. We're not trying to sell anybody short, but I think unrealistic goals and unclear goals can be problematic. Can actually like, especially for fans, can be problematic in your enjoyment. And you don't want to think you're something you're not, Tennessee, but you also <laughs> don't want to sell yourself short. And I do think this is an opportunity for a bunch of these Big Ten teams that we named for them to level up. And I think the league needs them to do it, and I hope Tony Petiti is reminding them and telling them to do it. And then the other thing that will be helpful, Landis, is that you don't have to beat Ohio State to get there. right? Because I think, especially if you're Penn State, that can be a world like, well, what, are you, what do you want us to do? I mean, we block the kick. Come on, man. <laughs> we'll block one kick every 10 years, and that's, that's how we'll beat Ohio State. It's like, that's not... You don't have to be Ohio State. You don't have to be them or beat them. But you can still think about a national title, right? That can sound crazy, but I don't think it's incorrect how Penn State should view things now.
1: No, and I think that that's true for... Well, maybe it's not true for Georgia and Alabama, but it's probably true for everybody else in the SEC. Um, that you don't necessarily you don't have to be, go around the necessarily go around all the best teams in the SEC to win, and you can navigate your way around an Ohio State or even a USC if if Lincoln Riley builds it up to the way people think he's going to um to get there. There's there's different avenues
0: now that didn't exist before. Like, were the Bengals two years ago the best team in the AFC? No. Did they make the Super Bowl? Yes. Were they better than the Chiefs? Were they a better franchise? Did they have better talent? Were they a better team than the Chiefs? No. Did they beat them? Yes. So it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, and so in the past, in the world, if you're just letting four teams in, it's the Chiefs, the Chiefs, the Chiefs, the Chiefs, the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Now you're letting in 12. The Chiefs don't stop being the Chiefs. But you get a chance to come in and beat them one time. And that's all you got to do. You don't have to be better than them for five months. You have to be better than them for three hours. So you have to be good enough for five months to get in and then have enough talent, enough good coaching to be better for three hours. And that's where we can create this new expectation. I love giving speeches. (laughs) I wish I had skills or respective of those around me because I just want to give a speech. I would, give a, I would gather all the Big Ten ADs and presidents and coaches and give a speech called Be Better Than Georgia for three hours. Yeah, do you what mean, you do best. Yeah. Do what you do best. Do not be obsessed with them. We have a posse. We do not have to be better than them, but we have to be competitive. We have to acknowledge them. We have to raise our level to meet them but we don't have to surpass them. We don't have to get down if they beat us in recruiting. We have to put ourselves in position to be better for three hours. So for 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that's what we're going to do. We're going to marshal every resource, every alumni, every TV eyeball, every dollar. And we are going to put ourselves in position to be better for three hours. And then it's going to happen. And then we're going to sell shirts. (laughs)
1: You're the Herb Brooks of Northern football. That's what we've, that's what we've landed on.
0: <laughs> we could probably—is he alive? We could probably get him on the show. He's from Herb. North. We'll get all kinds of hockey coaches on this show.
1: Herb Brooks is is not alive, but uh, Kurt Russell is. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> we'll ask him. Can we play the speech from the movie? And then also, would you like to be on our show? Okay. That'll wrap up the football talk. That leads us into what you're watching, what you're eating what you're thinking and now i know we talked last week about the state fair and then you like ran to the fair the minute we stopped yeah. recording i don't know if that's what you ate or what do you want to talk about that you are eating right now landis
1: i did run to the state fair um kept it pretty simple just like went with a corn dog got some ice cream i did go um they have the the bulk candy thing there did you see that yes. when you were there yeah, yeah ran through there bought like 30 dollars worth of smarties and then Came home. It was pretty great, but that is not what I want to talk about. Um, when it comes to what I'm eating, we went. Um, I guess it was about a week ago now, from the time we we're recording this, to uh, a new pizza place in Columbus that I had not been to yet. That I think is pretty popular, um, mm-hmm. and I think I am willing to put it at the top of the list of the best pizza that I've had in Columbus. It's called Sexton's. Uh, not there, familiar. There is uh, there's one in Gahanna. There's one in Hilliard, there is one um, over like in Harrison West, like not too far from campus, and it got on my radar because like the barstool guy who does his pizza reviews went there and gave it a really high score, and I, like got my antennas up right away. But that was a while ago, and I hadn't gone. We picked it up the other day, and it is they have a Detroit style like square cut pizza. We didn't have that. I went with the New York style triangle cut it's coal fired. So you get a little bit of char on the Mm. crust and it is not, it is not necessarily the pizza that I grew up with, like the big floppy East coast kind of slice. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a firmer crust. It's crust. Excuse me. It's crispier. Um, but the flavors were tremendous and the crust was excellent. And, and I think that that has been my biggest holdup with Midwestern style tavern cut pizza, whatever you want to call it. One that doesn't have a crust like to hold on to, but two that, that like, there's just, there's not much care given to the crust. Like there's, yeah. there's no consideration for the flavor and presentation and preparation of the crust. It's just like the thing you throw cheese and sauce on. And I grew up very much enjoying the pizza crust, thinking the crust was the most important part of the pizza. And this place, Sexton's, seems to take similar care. So I was quite pleased with it. I was worried that it wouldn't live up to the expectations. It did very much so. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's the best pizza I've had in Columbus, and I would like to go back there very soon.
0: All right. uh, I got to go. I'm going to go eat it right now. So here's the thing that this has happened to me in Columbus. I'm always on the lookout for New York style pizza recommendations. I have had a couple that people give good reviews and I've now reached the point where I'm so eager to find the New York style crust, the, the crispy yet chewy, big doughy crust that I have now run across places that have that, and then the pizza falls short in every other way. Mm-hmm. And so that is almost as frustrating to me as anyway as anything is that you've now figured out the crust, and then like your sauce is flavorless because a sauce that that marinade, that pizza sauce it should maybe be a little sweet or a little tangy or a little there's got to be something to that sauce. And I've had like flat pizzas yeah. that it's like the cheese is flat, the sauce is flat. Yeah, I guess you're hitting. You're checking my boxes on crust, but you're saying this pizza is also flavorful.
1: Yeah, the sauce was good. The sauce was um, maybe maybe a touch on the sweeter side, but but it definitely it had a distinct flavor to it. Like there are times I'll like, like, eat pizza and like I know there's pizza sauce in my mouth, but I don't taste it. Yeah, um, and this was not that uh, like fresh ingredients. Cheese was good, and it like I I happen to like when the crust bubbles a little bit on a pizza. Yeah. And they had that going for them, too. So, yeah, it was good. It was it was pretty
0: solid. Bubble Crust shirts. They're in the making. Yeah. Bubble Crust. That'd be a good nickname for you, too. <laughs> so, for all I know, it is a nick- nickname for yeah. me. I don't know. What's up, Bubble Crust? <laughs> uh, so, I was thinking about this. Just the things. What are the things that you feel like you could eat as a meal like four or five times a week? Because as much as I love pizza, I, th- I think I'm not there with, their, with pizza anymore. But... I just appreciate the flavor of wings so much. And yeah. I don't want to have a boneless versus bone in discussion because I'm just really talking about that Buffalo flavoring. Like I crave it. I th- think I could eat it four or five times a week. And it's the thing in my life that if I don't have wing flavor for like three days, I start getting jittery. And it's interesting <laughs> to me that of all the, you know, whatever burger, pizza, taco, chicken finger kind of discussions that people have, there's just no doubt to me in my life that the thing that I want to eat the most often for a meal is buffalo wings.
1: It's definitely buffalo wings for me. I don't, I don't know that there's another thing I, I actually do coincidentally, like, I eat eggs a lot. I probably eat eggs probably four or five days a week because I make it for breakfast almost every morning. But that is just sort of a let's fuel it up in the morning kind of thing. I'm not really giving it much thought. Um, But yeah, buff- it's chicken wings and whatever variety you can come up with. And I think yeah. part of it is too, like if it was cheeseburgers, like I don't want to eat that much red meat in a week. Yeah. Even for pizza, it's like, I don't need to eat that much bread in a week. It's like chicken. Yeah, I'll eat chicken. Maybe it's a little bread. Sometimes it's not. But if you get chicken with
0: a buffalo flavoring, However, way you can concoct it, I'm in. Never get tired of it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it has nicotine in it or something. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it does. Yeah. All right. What you watching?
1: Uh, Righteous Gemstones on HBO. Um, I think I think that it has completed its run for this season. And I did not start watching it until it ended. Not intentionally. It just sort of worked out that way. But that is my preference. Like I don't. And I guess it's just like the streaming thing. It's like I don't want to watch a show on Sunday and have to wait till next Sunday to watch it. I rather just wait until the entire runs over and then binge it if I can. Um, so I started doing that with righteous gemstones, which, um, might be the raunchiest show I've watched. Like it's not, you know, like it's, it's certainly not suitable for children. Um, but like the, the language, (laughs) the extent to which they're willing to go to get a laugh. Um, it is absurd. And I love it. I'm only two episodes into this most recent season, um, which I think is the third season, if I'm not mistaken. You know, it's, it's Danny McBride. And if you're any bit familiar with Danny McBride, I think you know what to expect when it comes to the type of humor is in that show. But then the cast is just so good. The characters are, are tremendous. So um, that is what I'm watching. I'm, I'm two eps in. I'll probably try to finish it uh, within the next couple of days.
0: All right. So I'm, I, I have a Danny McBride opinion that's been percolating for me that I need to share here and I'm sure it may be surprising on some levels and it will make people angry and by the way my email and my twitter mentions are filled with people sending me messages about bark- backing into parking spots just as i predicted <laughs> i can say whatever i want to say about football and people are like yeah we're fine and uh if you say things about that you get a lot of response so there was, I, you know, I like listening to the rewatchables on the ringer and they watch movies and they did uh, this is the end as a rewatchable recently. Oh, it's the, really? Yeah. <laughs> and Danny McBride is that in that. And like, they came to, to a conclusion that like Danny McBride is like the funniest person of the last decade or something. And I don't like Danny McBride. <laughs> and the reason why is, and this again is surprising because I am mean, his humor is mean to me. Yeah, is every bit of his humor like ripping somebody or being uh, sort of a, a verbally assaultive jerk face like that's what I have never seen him in an environment where his humor is not like shouting right mean things. And I'm just maybe in my old age. I don't know. I'm just more of a gentle humor kind of guy I like the humor that like makes fun of yourself as much as it makes fun of another person and I don't know that I've ever gotten that from him so I have reached the point where I actually actively avoid Danny McBride things so I do hmm. not watch the Righteous Gems- Gemstones. there was one where he was a principal right I didn't watch the principal show yep. and I didn't watch the baseball show because I find his comedy uh, too mean
1: I, I think that's fair. I think, in, I think in some ways, like a little bit of his particular brand of humor goes a long way. Um, I did not really get into Eastbound and Down. I did not watch Vice Principals, although I do love Walton Goggins, who is like his co-star on that show and is also in Righteous Gemstones, he plays Uncle Baby Billy, he's hilarious. Um, was on Justify,
0: which is my favorite show of all time. I watched I, a Walton, uh, Walton Goggins show where he was a, a dad and his wife died and he was going on dates.
1: Yeah, it was like a CBS. Yeah,
0: uh, that one yeah. I like, gentle, very gentle. Yeah yeah so only lasted a season
1: yeah i think um i think i can get there with you on on danny mcbride i think i think if he is the focus of the show it could be a little much i i maybe he ends up having the most screen time of anybody in righteous gemstones i'm not sure but there's enough going on around him that i feel like i'm not just watching a danny mcbride show and granted a lot of the humor like he i think he writes the show so a lot of the humor is his humor anyway but um Depending on the character, like the delivery just lands a little better for me, but I think you're right. But I also appreciate about him too. Like he has developed and starred in and written some pretty successful comedies, but he also like directed and wrote like the new Halloween movies too. So he's got a little bit of range to him
0: that I that I respect. But there's murder in that. There's murder in those movies, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I watched I watched them uh, on the
0: kill count on Dead Meat. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Watch the. Read it on Wikipedia and watched yeah. a ninety-second clip of thirteen people being stabbed. That's right. In Danny McBride's script. Okay, so I'll be curious to see. Like, I is he the meanest? Like, I'll watch a stand-up comedian that has mean humor, but I don't really want to watch that person then like be a character in a show, right? Yeah. Because, like, is that like I don't I can I don't know what other examples I would come up with of a comedic persona that then. Is in TV shows and movies that is that seems as assaultive as Danny McBride, right? I don't like was Sam Kinnison wasn't like walking around being on CBS comedy at 8 30 in the 80s, right? Like, I just i yeah, little, I'm trying- I think what you said a little bit of that goes a long way to me.
1: There's a so like you like Bill Burr, he's okay. So like he, but he has that style of comedy, right? Yeah. And he had like that cartoon F is for family on Netflix where he just like basically played himself as the dad of a family. Like that's the only, that's the only example I can really think of that is similar.
0: Yeah. So uh, gentle humor. Yeah. So the thing that I watched is I went and watched uh, an REM cover band in Cleveland this week. Again, it's the second time I've seen them in the last three months.
1: This will drive nicely with what I'm thinking. So I'm glad you said that.
0: And the first time I saw them, they were in a concert hall and they were just up on a stage and there was a dance floor and I was jumping around and I was all excited. And again, I like cover bands because especially if the band doesn't play together anymore, it's like the only way for that music to come to life. I can Mm -hmm. listen to it on my headphones, on my phone, or if I want it to come to life, this is the only way I can get it. I'd take the real thing, but that's not an option anymore. So I'll definitely take this. I'll take a really good cover band. But this show was in a supper club. And people were sitting at tables, (laughs) eating food. And I was like, I'm at this stage. I have reached the stage of when I want to go see my favorite brand of music. It's at a supper club. And I felt like I was 75 years old. And it was eye-opening. And the result was... And like coincidentally, it was in Cleveland at the place where Cleveland.com does... It's preseason Brown show. So I have been on that stage for the preseason Brown show. And then I was like, look, now the Michael Stipe guy is singing up there on the same stage. I was like, why aren't you in a dance club? So I was in the back at the bar by myself because nobody in my family will go with me. And all these people were sitting and I was in the back dancing with the hamburger, like by myself, <laughs> because if I'm listening to the music that I like live, I cannot sit still. Yeah, I can't help it. So I'm dancing in a supper club, and I felt like I was in an old folks' home. So also realizing that's where I belong now.
1: So what was what was the vibe? Like were people just sitting there quietly eating their steak and mashed potatoes, watching a (laughs) REM cover
0: band? Like seventy percent just sitting, twenty percent nodding their head, nine percent like people sort of like seat dancing a little bit, and one percent. Me in the back, standing at the bar, dancing with a hamburger,
1: so we t- we talked about this because when we were back in the Cleveland.com days, we did a, a live show at the Hofbro house that like, yeah. the Hoffbro house was crowded. But not everyone was there to watch us do an Ohio State podcast. In fact, yeah. like a very small percentage of the people who were there were there to watch us do an Ohio State podcast. Were there people who were there who were like just there to eat dinner and then R.E.M. cover band concert broke out? Or was everybody there knowing that was going to happen?
0: There were definitely people who left like eight songs in. And I was like, <laughs> you either don't like this band, this version of this band, or you did not know this was happening and you just came for the meatloaf. So, yeah, by the end, the crowd was not as thick as it was at the beginning but I thought they put on a great show and I just was like why are there tables here and why am I having to dodge the servers all night
1: is your is your cover band preference because I think I've only ever been to one cover band concert it was like the first concert I went to post covid when stuff was open back up again we once saw a Weezer cover band Hmm. and I'm not a particularly big Weezer fan I know a handful of songs and I was like yes I will go to a concert yes I will go yes Um, but they like kind of put their own spin on some stuff, and like if I go to listen, I want to be able to close my eyes and pretend
0: that it is that band singing to me the way they would do it. So this was—I was thinking about what we were going to talk about on what you watch and what you eat and what you're thinking as I was walking into the Woody today for, for cornerback interviews on Thursday as we record this, and I was thinking about that idea with the band. When you like a band, do you like the performers or do you like the music that they create? Yeah. And I always found like I like the music they create because that's what draws you to the band. It's the music, it's the sound, it's the style. And then when bands change their style, and then I'm like, well, that's I don't like you anymore. I right. like you because of the style of music that you played. So I don't want your spin. I want you to replicate the style of music that I like, which is the only way I can get it anymore, is by you playing it. So I don't care what you look like, and I don't care about your spin. I want you to be a living jukebox. And this this band is excellent at that. They sound like R.E.M., which is what I want, and so no, no offense, no spin.
1: Yeah, I don't want. I feel that way like the, the, and I guess it's it's part of the music that I like too. It's all like uh, East Coast morose, withdrawn, emotionally withdrawn men in jean jackets singing songs. Um, so there's not a whole lot of uh, histrionics with that anyway. But I just I, I worry much more about the sound of it than I do the look of anything. Yeah, that's
0: what Noah sounds like.
1: Yeah. All right, what are you thinking about? So this is this is true, no BS. This is what I came in to talk about with for what you're thinking about is going to concerts by yourself <laughs> because yeah. um there's one that i want to go to in october my favorite band uh they are from philadelphia shocker if you are a band that has like crunchy guitars and sing songs about philadelphia or the east coast just in general i'm in um and this is one of those bands are called the wonder years they are playing here at Columbus. Every time they come to Columbus, this happens with all my favorite bands, every time they come to Columbus, it is on the Friday of a football weekend where I am not here. And I will happen to be here the weekend that the Wonder Years are playing in Columbus. And uh, my wife and son will be out of town. They're going to New Mexico without me, which I'm not bitter about, except I'm very bitter about. And uh, I want to go to the show by myself, but I've only ever gone to a concert by myself one time, and I didn't have a tremendous time. I love going to the movies by myself, but that feels like a – solo experience just in the midst of other people. Whereas like a concert feels much much more like communal experience and it feels odd to me to go by yourself. So, but you clearly have no issue with that. So I guess what I'm asking you is to
0: talk me into going by myself. Okay. So I'm a lone wolf. I'm not. So this is, this is what I really think about this. You know who you will be there with that night? The band. Yeah. Because I think this is especially true If you love a band and like when I go to R.A.M. cover band, they're playing deep cuts, the seventh track off their ninth album. And I know all the words and 90 percent of the people sitting there like I've never heard this song before. And I'm like, I can't believe they're playing ages of you. This is awesome. When you love a band that much, I think to go to a concert with a person who does not love the band as much as you takes away. Mm. So I, I, I think in general, the options for going to a concert, if it's a band that you love, if you're just going for the experience and you know a couple of their songs from the radio, or whatever, then like, let it, who cares? Let it rip. But if it's your, like, these are, these are my guys. This is my band, man. I love these people. The relationship, don't you feel like when you go to a concert like that, do you ever feel like they're singing to you? Yeah. And nobody else. Mm-hmm. So then who do you care who's there with you? It's just about little Billy, Philly Billy, and his Philly band. That's all it's about. You look at that stage, they look at you and I actually think it's better. Not only is it okay, I think it's better. Now, if you happen to have a spouse, a friend, a family member who loves the band just as much, but even if if Leah does, does she love The Wonder Years as much as you do?
1: No, she's gone to a concert or two with me because of this fear of going by yeah. myself, but she does and she likes a few of their songs, but if she had her way she would not
0: go. Yeah. So don't make her go anymore. Yeah. Because they're your friends. The band are your friends. And I've had that experience. I mean, I've been in enough RVM concerts. There was a time, I, I was at a, at a show in Madison Square Garden in New York, and I swear they were singing to me. Like <laughs> I had a moment. I was like, it feels like there's 10,000 people here, whatever. Nobody else is here. It could be me and them. Right. So lean into that. And then, by the way, maybe you'll run into somebody else you don't know at the show who loves the Wonder Years as much as you do. And then you'll make a new friend.
1: That is a good point. I also kind of feel like this. Will make me sound like a terrible person, but like I'm 34, and I like I just don't feel like I need new friends.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Like I've lived here for 18 years. I've made like three friends since I moved here, and like you're one of them. So yeah. if you're like, nope, it's two. <laughs> But yeah,
1: I was talking about this with my so my my brother lives in uh, Connecticut. He's thirty; he just turned thirty. But he is more like in the young professional type of vibe than I am. And we're talking about like people between the ages of like twenty five and like thirty two who live in New York and DC and like go to things with the intention of trying to make friends. And I thought to myself, like, I'm thirty four. I have three guys that I grew up with in Philly who we text. Oh, I text all the time. I'm good. <laughs>
0: No, it's like once you get married and you have groomsmen, it's like, I don't, I got my people. I don't need any, why would I need friends ever again? (laughs) But it does, I mean, if it so happens, if there's like another guy in his mid 30s there, bobbing his head to the wonder years, you'd be like, you could fist bump them or just give each other a nod. And then maybe you get a beer. I don't know. But I would not, again, I would not only say, don't be worried about it. I would encourage it. I think you'll have a really good time. Okay. And then I just think it's hard sometimes. Like you take your wife or you take your husband or you take your friend and they're like, oh God, when's this gonna be over? And it's not that they're wrong. It's that maybe they don't want to hear two hours of a band who they know three songs. Yeah, right. and you know 70 of their songs. So it's hard to match up. Yeah. All right. So so my last thing is that this is a new venture that I am here doing kings of columbus with you on the podcast and i've mentioned that it's been kind of like a very interesting experience to make a big change there have been like a lot of people who've just been overwhelmingly nice and it's been very humbling and it makes you realize that people do actually watch the shows and listen to the shows and how lucky we are to do this and and i can say like to not have friends like people who want to go to a concert with you but like we connect we're very lucky to connect with a lot of people and They're like, there's a word for that that people have shared with me, like in this modern digital age, like that you have a relationship with people who you've never met in person. And it might not even be that you've been in the same conversation, but that the connection still in a one way conversation where you talk, they listen, you feel like you know each other, they send you a text, whatever. So that's real. But I have thought at times, like athletes talk about the haters a lot, right? Mm. And you'll sometimes be like Steph Curry is like motivated by the haters. It's like, who hates you? What are you talking about? like? What? Why wouldn't you be motivated by the success and the love and all the wonderful things that have happened to you and that you have made happen and that you have accomplished? Sometimes when there are high-level, high-performing athletes who talk about the haters, I think, isn't there something else that you should be <laughs> motivated by? Like I think it's such a cliched sports thing to do. Um, but I will say, Again, just people are so nice, but not everybody likes everybody, right? And again, I think I'm a little bit of an acquired taste, but whatever. Even if you're just – not everybody likes everybody. And there's just a little bit – I'm motivated by the haters, I realized. (laughs) (laughs) People have been so nice, and then I'm like, these three people hate me, and I'm like, you think we can't do this show? Is that what you think? Good a load of this. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, oh. And I'm just some guy at a microphone and I want to prove the haters wrong. And it's when you're starting something new. And like any belief that is like, oh, well, that's not going to work. Mm. Or that guy's, you know, this person stinks at that they're going to try something new. That's when I think you feel it the most. Right, or like you're taking a little bit of a risk, and it's like the doubters, the haters, you think we couldn't do this. And uh, I am so motivated by the haters that I apologize to every athlete that I have been like, Why are you being like that? I'm like, Oh, because of this, because we're just human and we can't help it.
1: Yeah, no, that's a real thing. Um, I try to stay away from it as much as I can, but some of it actually, frankly, is constructive. It's and I think that's fine. I think it's, I think it's actually healthy to be motivated by that to an extent. I think if you can dwell on it too much, it'll drive you crazy. Uh, It's when you are manufacturing haters is what. is is the issue. When you're, when you're Georgia and you say, no one thought we could do it when like, you literally just did it. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that like you're, you're full of it, but no, I think, yeah, it's okay to be motivated by the haters.
0: Yeah. And I don't have to manufacture it. There's enough people that hate me. It's like, I don't have to make it up. So uh, I, that was a, a, a nice experience to have that. So we appreciate you guys. Uh, being with us on this journey. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep contextualizing Ohio State. We're going to dive in on things sometimes. We're going to step back sometimes. We want to put Ohio State in a Big Ten context, in a Northern context, in a national context. We have more things like this planned on Kings of Columbus, but also sometimes we're just going to come out and talk about Jordan Hancock or Travion Henderson or Jimmy Simmons or some really hardcore, intense Ohio State football stuff. So we'll keep bringing you that. We know you guys are going to keep listening to the podcast daily where Bill and Austin and Berm are dropping the knowledge on you five days a week, bright and early in the morning. Berm is going to keep bringing you Berminology, the best recruiting coverage you can find anywhere covering Ohio State. And again, if you did not see my interview with Gene Smith in this podcast feed, in this YouTube feed. Uh, I would recommend that and send you back to that because Gene was nice enough to give us 30 minutes of his time. Wherever you can find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else, we're on YouTube, the podcast, just like you get on YouTube, you type that in, the podcast, Ohio State, you'll find us. All the shows are there, and stuff is happening. More is coming. Things are popping, haters. Things are popping. So stay tuned. We're going to have some announcements about some different things that should be happening sooner than later. But for now, we're just grateful that you guys are giving us a chance uh, to pop into your lives a couple times a week. For now, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Kings of Columbus.